This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Welcome to the Birth Queen podcast. Today I have um, my friend, who I kind of like forced you to be my friend, I think, when I saw how fabulous you were and then learned you were a midwife, Weha Rodriguez. So she's here with us, and I want to tell you like how we met. Our kids go to a, a fancy school. We don't need to say where, because um, your kids will go there. School. A private school. Um, and they, they speak another language there. And we were at, what was it, like the first week? I think it was the PTA information information session or something like that it was like outside right it was outside and you like strolled in gleaming (laughs) let me tell y'all dripping in diamonds i was like who is this her skin when you watch this video you'll see how gorgeous she is i was just like oh my god this black woman is so gorgeous and then she was just blinging and i was like i'm here for the labels and the bling (laughs) and then i was we got to know each other and then she was like yeah i'm a midwife and i was like (gasps) oh Oh my God, God totally wanted us to meet. And what's important, you know, somebody's like, why does it matter that she had labels and bling? Why that mattered to me that she's a midwife blinging is because um, to me, a big foundational like pillar of birth queen was abundance. And yes, we have a black maternal health crisis, but we do not come from lack. And you are Rwandan and Congolese. And it just was really important to me to have you in one of these first episodes to show what a black queen looks like because you are. And I know I'm like, get emotional. And you're a midwife and you bring forth life, but you're servicing a community that absolutely needs you. Um, I don't know. Are all your patients Medicaid? Mostly. Mostly. I would say at least 90% of them. Yeah. So I just want to say thank you for being here and thank you for doing what you do. You've given birth to a lot. Not only you're a midwife, you're a mother of three. Um, and you like, you know, made me just like feel so <laughs> at home right after I moved to like the new community. So I thank you for that. Oh, and so thank welcome. you for like being here. Oh, <laughs> such Pisces. Oh my God. <laughs> so I would love way hard for you to just like, I I want people to know like your story, like where are you from, and then what made you decide to become a midwife. Okay, so I'm originally from Rwanda and Congo, and so I came here when I was about ten years old. There was a war in the Congo, so my parents decided to bring us here, mm-hmm. um, and so we moved to Maryland, and then. Um, we still went back on vacation to Africa. We're still very grounded there. I, you know, um, I still have a lot of family there, um, especially during uh, the genocide, which was like a really hard time, especially in Rwanda. So, um, remind me the years that was. I mean, we know that as was Americans, in '94, like the movie, but yeah, okay, in '94. So, um, but yeah, so we we settled in Maryland, you know, I went to Penn State. I knew my dad always wanted me to be in the medical field. He always, as young as I could remember, was always like, you're going to be a pediatrician. You're going to be a pediatrician. Mm. But I was like, uh, okay, yeah, maybe. So um, one year after college, I interned in the pediatric office and I was like, this is not really what I want to do. Because mm-hmm. I was like, you, you know, you spend a lot of time just kind of talking to parents and not necessarily the kids. And I love kids. 
but I just didn't see myself doing that. Mm-hmm. So I was talking to my dad about it and I was like, you know, let me go back to Africa and kind of just do an internship at a hospital. So I went to Rwanda and I said to him, send me to like the poorest, poorest hospital in Rwanda. So he did. And I interned there and I started like in the pediatric department. I was like, this is not really want to do. And then I ended up on, um, um, on the labor floor mm-hmm. and it was all midwives. And mm-hmm. this is actually when I first find out what midwives were. Mm-hmm. I really had no idea because I think in the U.S. is not very common compared to other countries. Right. And so I was on the labor floor with the midwives and they were doing all these births and it was wonderful. And that's where I had my first birth, like there. And it was just beautiful because it's like you don't have all these resources and these people are actually like happy that you're there to help them. You mm-hmm. know, it's people who haven't had any prenatal cares, live in villages that are brought in with like pickup trucks and they're in labor. So I've really got to see a lot of things that where I sometimes I'm at work now and I'm just like, wow, just... And it still draws me, like I still want to go back and help because I think like that's where a lot of the work needs to be done. But I also like people like are very appreciative of you. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's a different, it's 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 a different kind of place. But I think it's also you learned to work with nothing. Yeah. You know, and being humble about it. And I think um, so I really love that. And so then I came back and I was like, dad, I know what I want to do. I want to be a midwife. And mm-hmm. he was like, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> he didn't know what it was. He didn't know what it was either. And so <clears throat> he had a friend who was a doctor and he spoke to him. He was like, what is a midwife? He was like, that's great. It's wonderful. They're kind of like OBGYNs. They do deliveries, all of that. So I went back to school and I became a midwife. And again, I wanted to really work with underserved populations. So I, um, um, I've been working in the Bronx um, ever since I graduated. So I did it. Um, one of my last clinical was actually at the hospital that I currently work at. Okay. So that's how I started working as a midwife, and it's it's it changed my life and perspective as. Just, you know, we're in a world, I think, where we need to learn to take care of each other as women. Yeah. Uh, no matter where you are from in your background, you know, so, um, yeah. That everybody deserves That deserve care. care. Yes. What would you say for those that are listening are the key differences between an OB and a midwife? So the differences are this. So we both go to school. <laughs> You mean you didn't, run, you didn't run out of the jungle? No, I did not run out of the jungle. I didn't practice this at home. I didn't learn it from somebody else. It's not voodoo uh, and witchcraft. It's not voodoo, right. exactly. You know, we didn't learn. And a lot of, I think midwives have the stereotype of being hippies. We right. don't have a, ba- like, you know, education, a background, all of that. Um, we do, you do need to have a master's in midwifery. So you do need to go to school. Um and so the difference is, is I can take care, I take care of a woman. Midwives actually means with women. Mm-hmm. Um, so we take care of women from before you have children. So we can do your pap smears, your annual visits. We could, you know, send you to get your mammograms, all of that. And then when you're 
um, pregnant and then after the pregnancy. So the only thing that I cannot do is anything that has to do with surgery. Mm -hmm. So if a woman has fibroids, had endometriosis, any type of surgery, I cannot do. That's the doctor that will do it. That's an OBGYN that will do it. I do assist at our hospital. We do first assist, meaning that if a woman needs to have a C-section, I will go into the C-section, which I think is actually great because I'm mm-hmm. continuing that care, especially if right. I was taking care she's of her. passed off. She's not passed off to just a doctor. I will be there with her. I will talk to her. I will be there to help the doctor to do her C-section. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is a difference. But, yeah. you know, a lot of people still call us doctor because it's confusing. But... Yeah. <laughs> but I think what's really awesome, you know, there's the history of the granny midwife, or, yeah. which were the black midwives in America, many of whom were slaves. And But what I what I love about you being here is you can bring the perspective like coming from Africa and right. not from that, that lack standpoint right. of how that was the tradition that midwife with woman we were with women birthing a baby and just like holding space for a woman so can you kind of like talk to what you saw like when you were in rwanda um just the role of the midwife and just how you know yeah because i just it we were cut i think once we got to america we still continued to catch babies as black women and then when obstetrics was born it was a hard cut right we were cut out of of it and now we're like re-entering but unfortunately there's very few black midwives um even though it was our thing (laughs) (laughs) i mean i what the what i experienced in rwanda what i thought was really beautiful and really nice is even the respect that the doctors gave to the midwives Mm. you know they were literally when i tell you they were sitting on the bench the doctors were sitting on the bench and it was the midwives that made the call Mm-hmm. If they needed a C-section, you know, it would. It, it was literally the midwife that came to the doctor and being like, okay, this one needs a C-section. And then we will all go in the back and have that C-section done. But it's really that respect. And it was a, a good um, work environment. Like they really kind of worked together really well. Yeah. And there was a respect. And I think that um, in Africa, a lot of the hospitals, the men are not allowed in. So all the husbands were actually outside waiting. And Mm -hmm. it's really the women taking care of each other. Like Mm -hmm. it's really women together, laboring together and delivering together. It's um, so it's it's really about women kind of like supporting each other in that moment. Which is why your dad didn't know what a midwife was. Right. Um, but it was like, yeah, so I think that, um, you know, we are continuing to try to do this in the U S but I think it's, it's more common in your, in, in like Europe there, it's, it's continuously midwives have continued to be there. I think in the U S it's, it has become a lot like medicalized. And so it's like, everything is about insurances and money and all of that so Mm -hmm. it's it's very very hard that even me as technically i am an independent provider Mm -hmm. but because i am based in the hospital so i am admitting the patient i'm taking care of the patient but the billing is through the doctor that's on the floor so we're not even recognized as being our own individual practitioners even like at like a hospital so 
um, that kind of has to change. And I think it's the, the change is happening because now insurances, you can get the insurance to reimburse if you're doing some of the home birth and all that. So they are realizing that midwives are valuable. Right. Um, but again, it's got to be like a culture shift. Like everything's got to change here, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to take some time, but we got to keep like trying yeah. to push it and make it happen. I have like clearly like the big question of how we solve the black maternal health crisis. But I know one of those solutions is black care providers, more specifically midwives, doulas, and lactation. But my like solution nonprofit founder brain is like, how do we generate interest in the field of midwifery to black women? I think it's just even, um, I think we need to talk about it more. I mm-hmm. just don't think that people understand what a midwife is. Yeah. I think the more we talk about it, the more people are going to be aware of it and more people are going to demand to have a midwife. You know, even in New York, there are not that many hospitals that have midwives on right. staff. You know, it's very much um doctor driven, you know, and I get that, but I I also think that who's better to know about labor than women, right? Who's better, who, who, who is better at knowing what it is to, to carry a child and all of that. Now, don't get me wrong. We do have male midwives, but it's, it's a very, very, um, small percentage. We Mm -hmm. actually have a male midwife at our hospital. Um, and I do encourage that. I think it's, it's wonderful for men to also want to be there and support women. But I do think just, it's understanding different. it's it is different but i think also understanding what a midwife does yeah i am very much always confused a lot of people either think that i'm a doula or that i'm a doctor i'm i'm called doctor all the time uh-huh and i don't think that they understand right you know i have patients coming in and they were like well i have a fibroid i want to take it out and i'm just like well i'm going to send you refer you to an OBGYN, and they're like oh you're not the doctor i'm like no i'm the midwife that's not my specialty. You know, doctors are surgeon. That's right. their specialty. Right. They are there to do surgeries. And midwives are there to be with women the way that it was supposed to, that it has been in the past. Right. And well, she I mean, for centuries. Be. For centuries, yeah. And so I think what's also important for people to understand, like, just the chemistry behind, like, the need for a woman to feel safe. Like, I give right. the analogy that a dog would never give birth in the middle of Fifth Avenue, right? Yeah. They know that that female dog knows it's not safe. Right. So she seeks out a quiet, safe space to deliver her babies. Um, so the cervix literally doesn't open unless a woman is producing oxytocin. Right. And so what we're not seeing is that we're throwing women into this medical institution where most people go when they're sick and dying yeah. and expect them to feel safe with random people coming in and out you know, checking clipboards and machines and never acknowledging their humanity. And so we can't expect the body to feel safe in that environment. A dog wouldn't. So why should we, (laughs) you know, and then you're like, yeah, I mean, I'm your OB, but I might not be there because I might be golfing or I might be, it might not be my shift. And you're like, so I'm supposed to just now feel comfortable with whoever just strolls in here and gives me a pelvic exam, which is a good segue into something we get to discuss as like, women and mothers and birth workers who are into this, but the importance of being sensitive to the the individual woman that you're caring for and her story. And I always just love how you highlight, you need to be 
you need to center that woman. And that's huge. That's a solution too. Yeah. I think for her maternal care in this country is centering, recentering a woman because there's no baby without the mama. Right. Like that's just not a thing. Right. But please talk to to me about how you approach, you know, what what you kind of go through in your mind of awareness of when you enter a room and before giving a pelvic exam yeah. exam to someone. I I honestly I I always remember um that this is this is actually a um a person. Right. You know? It's not a it's not a dummy or this is not a um uh, a workshop or anything like this is a human being being there and that human being has gone through certain things in their lives. Right. You know, I encounter women who have been raped, women who have been molested, women who come from Africa and had had a circumcision. Like you, you have to be aware of what that person may have gone through in their, their lives. So I, I really explain to them everything that I will do. And I always say to them, because a lot of women have encounter maybe like somebody being rough during like a speculum exam or a vaginal exam. So mm -hmm. they're always like, oh my God, this is going to hurt. I don't want to do this. And I'm just like, you know what? We will go really slow, really slow. And you let me know when it's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, and I try to have them br breathe through it to kind of like relax their body. And I always tell them, the more you relax the body, you, the more, because if you're really tight and I'm trying oh, to yeah, do a vaginal right. exam, it's going to hurt even more. And I will give them every time in the world that they need because right. I also, it's also you're building trust with that person Absolutely. during that time, mm -hmm. right? Because they were like, you know what? She was really nice and she <clears throat> took her time. So the next time when I'm going to come, she's going to be like- You're not tense. They are not tense and, they're, and their walls are down, right? They're not guarded because they're like, this person's not going to hurt me. And this mm -hmm. person is here working with me and is going to take all the time that- you know, that I need. Mm -hmm. um, so you really do not know what women have gone through in their past. So it's very, very important to just be gentle. I mean, imagine like you, Im imagine you being on that table, yeah. you know, and what you would want somebody to do. So yeah. I think it's very important. And not everybody wants to disclose everything I've had. I can go through and and um, see a patient for the first time and I'll ask her certain questions about her life, her background, mm -hmm. all of that. And she may not feel comfortable divulging to me that she was raped when she was 15 years old or that she was, you know, touched inappropriately at a certain age or whatever. But then during labor, sometimes those things come, come out, out. Mm -hmm. you know, and sometimes they don't want to tell you because their partners don't know that. And so they are- That's huge. They, yeah. they are keeping it inside and you don't want to- look at somebody and be like, what is going on? Why are you acting this way? Right. So I sometimes, even when I do see a patient acting that way, I don't, I just, I really try to ease things and just be like, you know what? I'll give you time. I can come back in five minutes. I will go slowly. I will guide you. I always, always, always tell them. I really think it's, it's huge. You have to work with the person and being open and understanding and really have that open communication with them and let them know what's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, I had as a doula, my one of my early births, this lovely couple, we were stuck in triage because I didn't have a room. And every person that came in asked her, they went through that same checklist. And one of the questions was, have you ever aborted? Yeah. And she's literally there like laboring, like intense labor. We're about to, she's like, almost fully dilated yeah. with her husband and it, the, 
determined agent wasn't with him. And she had to continue to answer that question like probably like four times. And I was just like, I was new as a doula, but I was like, something about this is just, what? Like, why does that matter? Like, she's about to give birth right now. Like, we're having a baby right now. So I don't know why all of that and how triggering that could be for the partner, for her, for for, right. for every, like, it's just, it was really off-putting. I mean, I've heard n- insane things that occur, including often a lot of Black women are asked if they're married, which is literally so inconsequential. And, like, what woman in her, you know, fourth, tri- you know, third trimester is, like, right. wearing their wedding ring, swollen, giving birth? Like, right. you're not wearing jewelry, except for you, maybe. <laughs> I like the jewels usually are coming off by like week 40 or week 30 even. Um, so yeah, but um, I, I'm thank you for sharing that. Cause I think it's really important, but because you're working with the Medicaid population, I want to start here. Like birth is beautiful and it's safe, right? Yeah. If women are supported properly, but I, we can't deny that there is a crisis happening and, because you are working with, you know, in the Bronx, typically with a Medicaid population, can you break down that it's not the woman that's broken? It's like our system and the solutions we can implement to continue to properly care for and have positive birth outcomes, which I know, you know, you have both, like I'm privy to, to both sides, but I think it's important for us to know that there is a solution. And I absolutely believe that midwives and doulas and lactation counselors um, are a part of that. Right. So I would just love for you to, s- how is it being a midwife in an institution, right? Yeah. Serving that population because it's possible. Yes, it is. And I think that, I think first we have to have a lot more midwives and doulas and lactation consultants that are, um, that are black Hispanic. I work in a practice where about 16 midwives. We are four midwives that are black and one Hispanic. And there's so, 16 and there's 16, only four black women. There's only wow. four black women and one Hispanic. And the majority of is our population right. is either black or Hispanic. You know, so I think it's hard sometimes when you don't have somebody that looks like you, understands you, can connect. Because I have a lot of like African women that come in and they're like, oh, you're from Africa. And it's like a direct connection, right? Mm-hmm. And so then when we talk about nutrition and food, and I'm like, okay, you can't have too much of that foo-foo. You know, like she understands. Yeah. She knows that I understand she's what she's eating. She's not like, oh, eating. this girl not going to know what foo-foo is. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I think that connection is great. And right. even having a provider that speaks your language, right? Absolutely. Um, it's huge because as much as like you can have a translator, it's still not the same thing as having somebody that speaks that language, the same right. language. It's, it's already like a connection. And so I think having more of that Mm -hmm. would really help. But I think also, you know, we need to break down that whole um, aspect of, you know, black people don't feel pain, that we have a higher pain tolerance, that we're stronger or with this. skin is thicker. Yeah, we're thicker. (laughs) I think all of that has to kind of stop for people to really understand. I mean, even like, even when you look at all of the lab values, like all the lab values are based on white women, on white people, white, it's not black. Like naturally African-Americans were anemic. We're technically not anemic. Our levels are lower 
than what a Caucasian person would be. But if you're basing on that, yes, we're constantly anemic. Right. right. I dealt with that with I dealt right. with that with my so baby. So now in our pregnancy, so you have to have somebody that understands that, right? right? That's just kind of like, well, you're not really anemic. We just run on a lower level than what a Caucasian would. But just having all those understanding of things, um, but generally, you know, we we are we are anemic. So, but we have to look at how to increase that, you know, and how to be able to relate that to um, someone, you know, especially. Like, um, in that population that I work with, we have, it's a lot of education. We yeah. have a lot of diabetic women and, you know, they'll come to, to uh, the prenatal visit with McDonald's and orange juice. But the reality of things, that is what is around. Do we have healthy options for right. them? Right. So you, we you can't judge things? them so we can't for the fact that they them. live in exactly. a food desert, which was all by design. Correct. Exactly. So right. you cannot go to a really nice neighborhood <laughs> like Westchester you will not find the Popeyes. You won't find the Applebee's. You won't find any of that. But then you go to under and that's all there is. Yeah. So even though, you know, you can, you do have WIC and stuff, but is there healthy options? Now they have been changed. There are a lot of uh, farmer's markets now that you could go and use your WIC and all of that. But it's even like teaching them, right? How right. to cook healthy and how to do all that because it's from generation of and it's the culture, right? Hispanics like a lot of their rice and beans and all of that. So even when I'm speaking to like all of my patients, I'm like, okay, a cup of rice, not going up like this, like a little cup. And they all laugh when I say that because I'm like, they know that I understand that even in certain culture, like your rice is your <laughs> staple. Like you well, have yeah. to, like, this is what you do. Like you have a lot of rice. A little bit of vegetable and a little bit of meat, but the main is the rice. To fill you know? your belly, to yeah. To fill your belly, or to say, I get. Well, the baby wanted McDonald's. The baby doesn't know. No, like the yeah. baby doesn't know what McDonald's is. Right. You know, but I think it's just education. Really, a lot of education about it. Right. I think that that would, and on both parties, right, on the providers right. side and on the patient side, um, because I have even. Um, a lot of students that come through, you know, all watch them speak to the patient and they're like, oh, well, you could go, you know, do yoga and you could go get a massage and you could go do this. And I'm just like, they don't have that. Unfortunately, right. that's expensive. And this is a different population. And it's very like we have to be able to adapt to things, you know, but I think even increasing the resources that they can have, it would be right. great if they could go get a massage. It would be great Absolutely. if they could go to a chiropractor and have all these services available. And I think that that's what we have to continue to advocate for, mm -hmm. you know, that it's still it's still provided for them, you know, the right. same thing that anybody can have with a private insurance. Yeah. And the food thing to me, it just it really triggers this the history of slavery like we had to figure out how to survive yeah. and so it wasn't that we didn't want what we were cooking for our master it's we had the scraps and yeah. were able to survive so when we talk about abundance like we're a very resourceful people who are able to figure out right. how to be resilient with next to nothing yeah. however we don't come from that that's that's not yeah. what we come from right um yeah, and I think <clears throat> just not assuming, right? I think it, I almost addressed this with Lindsay, but when we were talking, but this idea that people think they get it, you know what I mean? Yeah. When someone's like, I understand. Like, we're both black women of, you know, fine African descent, 
but I'm not Rwandan. I'm not yeah. Congolese. I wasn't born there. So even I am just going to have a an openness to understand what your experience was because it is unique to mine. Right. And I think that's just all we have to do um, instead of judge. Like I just, yeah. judgment is, is, is ridiculous. And the fact that also that we're able to check the box with survival is not enough yeah. um, because there's more to birth and being a human than just like having you and your baby survive. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, that part. Um, okay. So that's like your work stuff, which I love and we can get back to it. But Weha also is a mommy. So how yes. many kiddos do you have? I do have, I have three boys. Mm -hmm. um, they are, I have a, oh my God, nine-year-old, a six-year-old and a five-year-old. Did you always so. want to be a mom? I did. I always wanted to be a mom. That was not that that was never like a question for me. I always wanted to be a mom. So and yeah. how were your your pregnancies? Um, I loved being pregnant. <laughs> I think that was I really loved being pregnant. I had very easy pregnancies. Um didn't have too many complications with them. Mm -hmm. Um, but I did um, fight for what I wanted. And I think that I am happy that I, uh, was a midwife and understood a yeah. lot about the medical, um, um, healthcare system and medical aspect of it. Um, so the thing about me is I had a fibroid when I was really young at the age of 23, I had it removed Okay, and I was told that I, I needed to have a C-section. And so I, Contrary to what everybody told me, mm -hmm. I believed that my body could do it, could just have a natural birth. I felt strong. I felt like my body was able to carry these children and be able to get a vaginal birth. But every doctor that I spoke to was like, nope, you had a myomectomy. We're done. You, you needed to have a C-section. Right. And I went to a group of midwives who said, you know what? Um, I think you can do it. But we do work with this OBGYN who's super pro-midwife, super supportive. And we right. just want to run it by him because he's our backup, right? Mm -hmm, if mm -hmm. we need a C-section, he's the one that we called. I said, great. So I went to his office and he said to me, he was like, I truly, he looked at all the operative report of how the procedure was done. And he said, I truly believe that you can do it. I am going to treat this just like as if you had had a C-section. And so this would be considered VBAC. And I had three beautiful vaginal birth, you know, with no complication. My uterus did not tear or any of that uh, right. rupture. Um, however, I am not saying that every woman should do this, but I think that you need to, I think we need to trust women's bodies a lot more. Than we do. Yeah. Than we do. You know, yeah. um, I think that's something that we need to do. We need to listen to women when they tell you, I think I can do this and I feel like my body can do this. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that it's worth giving it a chance, right? So now I did not have birth. I did not deliver at home. I was in a hospital setting because I think that was appropriate just because of that background. Um and so I think that if you're in the proper setting with the proper providers that are watching over you and seeing what's going on and that are supportive of you, I think it's wonderful. Right. You know, I think that what 
what baffles me all is all the time like we are the only species who don't do things in packs like we want to do things like it's always everything alone like even mm -hmm. when you look at animals when they give birth there's animals around surrounding them right they always raise the cubs and all of that together like so even it's elephants, just like elephants it's serious right like, it's like everybody yeah. is together it's surrounding that person and supporting that person mm -hmm. person you know and i think that humans we tend to not do that and i think this is why we have a lot of postpartum depression yeah we have all that because there's no support system i think yeah. if there was a true support system where we came in and care for that you know um we would have a lot less um uh bad like outcomes yeah if, if, you know, per se. So well, culturally, that's a big difference. So like Weha being, you know, African and I being African American, I remember even just when we were all together last summer. So Weha has a pool and I have two boys and she has three boys. And she she's hostess with the mostest. We have that in common, <laughs> but she might have me a little beat, but that was fine. Um <laughs> and so you have like all these kids running around and adults yeah. adulting and everybody's having a good time. And I remember Fuhara got up and because Samuel wanted to change. Yeah. It was time for him to get out of his yeah. swim clothes. So she said, baby, where's your where's your bag of clothes? Yeah. And she just went. And I think we had met maybe once, maybe right. twice. And she found his bag and got him changed. Yeah. And she was like, girl, sit down so you can have your drink. Because right. I've been chasing Baldwin trying to make sure he didn't drown. <laughs> and she's like, just sit down. And it was so simple. But it was a group of women. Right. Being together, raising babies, her kids are grown and she wasn't yeah. at the same stage, but she recognized the stage I was in and that I just needed to sit down and have right, my drink. And, have <laughs> like, <Yeah. right. laughs> and she's like, I got this, like, just yeah. enjoy your food yeah. and your drink. And it was a, so simple yet so beautiful that she felt comfortable enough to help me mother right. and mother me, right? you know, and that I could be sitting right there and just sitting and enjoying while she helped me right. parent my son um, or help, whatever, get his yeah. clothes changed. Yeah, And it seems simple, but I remember even speaking to that in that moment. And I do believe it was a conscious choice, right? Like when slavery yeah. happened, that we, that, that breakdown of the family and of yeah. community, you know, of course, I think we recreated it on plantations and such, right. but that's what we come from. And it just felt right. so warm and so right. Yeah. And I encourage women not just black women, but all women, especially as mothers, like th this is no joke. Yeah. Like it's no joke to be a parent. <laughs> like right. it's a lot. <laughs> and it's so much more enjoyable when you when can do doing, it together. Exactly. When they have a community of friends right. that they get to hang out with and when we get to sit down while they're right. happy and we can be happy sharing the good, bad, or the indifferent, but just right. also resting, you know? Right. So I, I believe that's important. And those are those things... Because I also have this thing with like the hiding. Mm -hmm. I hate that we hide our pregnancy. We hide infertility. We hide a pregnancy loss. Right. We hide our first trimester. We hide. I'm like, yeah, that's when you need people the most. The most. Exactly. Yeah. I remember I, when I had my miscarriage, I like just like had a day, you know, and then I like threw my stretchy pants back on and like taught fitness. Like, yeah. hi, guys. And I'm like, now I'm going... I don't really think that's probably right. what I should have done, but I didn't tell anybody. And then every time I washed my hair, my hair was falling out and I had to relive it. Right. You know, because my body was going through the fourth trimester. Yeah. 
you know? Um, but these are things that have always just, I think as a person, I never, you know, I'm not a private person. I mean, you don't know all my, people yeah. don't know all my business, but I think there is a way to share that's in a way to just say like, I've been through this and this is what worked with me. Right. And then that other person feels safe to share. And then we're in this together because I don't believe God designed this life to be lived alone. Right. I mean, you know, even just with tribes in Africa, like I remember being so impacted when I visited the Zulu tribe. I was like, I didn't know I was into polygamy, but maybe now that I've had the experience (laughs) at 38 dealing with men, I'm like, oh, mind sharing. (laughs) I have to deal with you every day. This is great. <laughs> but I think this is how we're, we're really, I think, meant to live in a pack almost. Yeah, like, right? yeah. Everybody should have their pack, and and whether it's friends, whether it's cousins and families. I was just having a conversation out there where, like, you know, I was explaining that I have patients who are just like, I'm like, okay, so where are you going to go? So now you have the baby. Like, do you have an apartment? And they were like, no, I'm living at my mom's house. But I was like, okay, so who's going to help you after you give birth? And they were like, I'm going to go to shelter. And I was just like, what? And the first time I heard that, I was like, what do you mean you're going to go to the shelter? And she's like, no, I'm going to go to shelter because I need to get an apartment on my own. And just because of how the system is set up here, Mm. here she doesn't work. She's on welfare you know, Medicaid, WIC, all of that, for her to be able to have an apartment, she has to go to a shelter for a certain amount of months. <gasps> Here we are with a brand new baby. And I said, I don't even think we have shelters in Africa. I have not seen a shelter in Africa. They will be a family member who will take you in. Wait, wait, wait. You have to run this back. So, so the only way, if so I the am... only way that you, that, so... From my understanding, don't quote me 100% on this, but the majority of my patients do go. And when I, and I had I asked about it, they said, we have to go in order for us to get housing, okay, public housing, you have to go through the shelter system first. And when, once you're in a shelter and you register in a shelter, then the process of you having your own apartment or housing starts. I don't even know what to do with that. So it is very, so, you know, when you really look at the system, it's a lot more, um, it's just, we, we, we really need to find a better way to, <laughs> to say the least, to really help, um, a lot of women, because I just, I sometimes don't understand how, you know, because in Africa, it's just very different. We will never let you go to a shelter. Now, do we have issues in Africa where, yes, we do have women who will give birth and camp outside of the hospital because they can't afford to pay their bills, but there are NGOs that do come and pay the bills of those, of, of these women. In hospitals in Africa, we don't have like a food service. Your family has to bring you food. So the families will bring them food every single day, you know, until they can leave. That is more of a financial aspect of it. Here, I feel in the U.S., the financial, there is money. It's just the way the system it's set is, up. is set up. That it's almost like, you know, um, example, like I had, I had a nanny who, who, who came and was a single mom. Um, she lived in public housing. And she said to me, I had to write her letters saying that she made less. Because if she did tell them that she made more, her rent would go up. 
And so she's like, but I can't afford right. to pay that rent. I'm already on welfare and all that. So it's almost like the, they, it's, it's built to keep you, you down. It, it's built oh, to absolutely. keep you down. You absolutely. Know? And so I think that also has to change. Like you can't, I would rather have her rent go last so she could continue to work and save money to now get out of the system, right? But then they tell the story that everybody's just living off the system, right. but it's built to keep you in it because it they- built, It's built to keep you in it. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. that's like- ugh. Yeah. Ugh. Um. What was, and this can be in just however you interpret it, your biggest push moment, that could be childbirth or otherwise. Um, I think, I think probably the birth with my first child, um, again, when you talk about, you know, I did have an OB, he was on vacation. <laughs> so I had somebody else in his practice come in. And when he saw that I had had a myomectomy, he was like, okay, we're going to have a C-section. And I was like, nope, we're not doing that. That's not what I agreed with my doctor. That's not mm -hmm. what we're going to do. He said that I could try to have a vaginal birth. And all that. And I think this is where I'm saying we really need to continue educating people and people knowing um, what is going on with their body and where they're at. I'm a, I always come to my patient and let them know what we're going to do. Okay. This is the plan. This is what I think you should do. Let's discuss it. Let Tell me if, if you're okay with this, why I want to do this, what's going to happen and all the other steps. Right. Because I think they need to feel empowered too about their birth plan, right? Like this is what I'm doing. This is what's going to happen. I'm this amount of centimeters. I have to go to this. Really explain because not everybody, especially with your first child, you don't really know much. You just kind of like, okay, what am I supposed Even to do? Even people who like know stuff. Like, right. No stuff. Not like common. I, I used to talk about contractions, but when you really feel a contraction for the first time, you're like, <laughs> holy shit. Like, what <laughs> is this? Like, this is like, you know, and then Your you tell somebody like, like oh, it's going to get worse because you explain to them, you're like, it's like little cramps, you know, but it's strong cramps. It's like stronger. But when you really experience <laughs> it, you're like screaming and some people have different pain tolerance. You know, I've had women on the phone chit-chatting and they're like nine centimeters and laughing. And I've had women screaming their lungs off at one centimeter. So it's like everybody's yeah. very different. Right. So I think even like explaining that to somebody, you know, I became such a different midwife after giving birth, mm -hmm. you know, because now you understand what it yeah, is. Yeah, you're not like, breathe, honey. Right, you're not like, <laughs> breathe, relax, just... <laughs> Oh, yeah, no. imagine it's a flower like, opening. You know, <laughs> I understand when you're moving around and you're screaming and you're yelling at your partner, you you did this shit. Like, <laughs> I know. So you understand all that. I had my all both of the boys were OP, and I yeah. remember they're like, sit down or lay down. I yeah. was like, how can people lay down? Because I had so right. such crazy back labor. Yeah. And I'm like, I can't, like, I. I can take a lot, but I was like, sitting and laying is the last thing, thing that you want to do. I can't. Like right. it was excruciating, right. and so it's it's just that too, which yeah. historically everyone like moves and is right. moving during right. labor, right. and I that made sense to me. Yeah, I'm like, I got to move this baby out. Yeah. I cannot be laying on my back. Right, it just going through it's, contractions it's, it's, for you, you two days. That those mm -mm. contractions are really. Are really <laughs> seismic. It's like an earthquake. <laughs> it's like an earth. Yeah, 
And so, you know, I, I was induced because I was post-dates and, you know, so it took a while. I, I started like on a Friday night um, and I just felt the doctor just wanted to suction me from the beginning, yeah. you know? So it was like, I literally, it was a battle, you know, every intervention was a battle um, until the end um, when, you know, he came in, I remember it was like Saturday night, like probably around 10 PM and he came in and he checked me and he was just like, Oh, you're fully dilated. Let's start pushing. And I was like, but I don't feel the urge to push. Like, let's just wait. Let's wait until my body tells me like mm -hmm. it's time to push, you know, and you're going to feel it. You're going to yeah, feel you, the head yeah, of the baby yeah, yeah. in between your legs. You're going to feel that pressure. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I'm not feeling. You feel no poop. Pressure. So you're going to yeah, feel, you feel a brain. Like you have to poop. <laughs> you're like, I'm, I need to poop. But that's the thing. I'm like, you're, if you can feel the urge to poop, you're actually going to also feel an urge right. of a whole baby exiting right. your and body. Right, and so I'm just like, right. I'm not feeling anything. Like, right. this right. is not what was written in these textbooks. Like, I'm supposed <laughs> to feel the urge to push, and it's not there. So I'm just kind of like, so I was honestly blessed that all the nurses that took care of me were midwives outside in Africa uh. and the Caribbean. So it was really nice. So when he left, I, I asked the nurse, I said, could you check me? She's like, oh, no, you're not fully dilating. So, but I knew that deep down inside, this man wanted to just section me and that was his plan. And so I advocated for myself, you right. know, I was like, this is not going to happen. This is what's going to happen. And this is what's going to, and I think you have to listen to the person, you know, feeling and going through all these things. Yeah. It's like, I've had women who are fully dilated and they were like, I can't do this. I can't do this because... What you have to understand too, it's not just giving birth. There's so many emotions oh, that come God, up yeah. during that time, yeah. you know, that we have to kind of respect that to say, is she ready? There's some women that are scared to be moms just right at that moment. They're like, oh my gosh, this baby's about to come out. Like, what am I going to do? There's some women that could be releasing things where at that time they could be thinking about the time that they were raped or they right. were touched. Like there's all these so emotional much. things that come yeah. out that we have to really respect that. The birthing process, it's so it's so powerful. Yeah. Um, and we we really have to kind of look at it in a different way, not just like, oh, you're gonna have your baby and this is what's gonna happen. Yeah, like, and you da 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 yeah. We're not thinking about the person and their emotional aspect of it and their emotional well being of it, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so for me, you know, I then a couple of hours later he came back and he was like, You're still not pushing. I was like, Oh, now. I feel that urge to push mm -hmm. let's push and you know and I started pushing really well and the first thing he wanted to do he was like let me use a vacuum let me help you and I think this is where sometimes when we say you know doctors I I love doctors and I work with some wonderful doctors and I think what they do is is great you know they have they it, it's a specialty when and necessary and they're a surgeon when necessary right um, but I also think that there's a lot of them who have never had a, a vaginal birth or are not comfortable with doing that mm -hmm. because they're a surgeon and we understand mm -hmm. that. And I think this is where we have to leave it. And I think this is where in Europe, they kind of have it down. They were like, midwives will do the births, will do the natural births and all that. And when I say natural, you can still have your epidural, okay? Right. We're talking about like vaginal births. And I think in other countries, they have that down. Yeah. Where the midwives will do the vaginal birth and the doctors are there when necessary. Well, you're, to you're, do the you sections. have a more full, people need to understand a midwife has a more full toolbox to support 
of vaginal delivery, right? right? Palpation, all measuring the belly. And they spend more time with that person giving birth, talking. I mean, I would always be like, oh, damn, what are we still talking? How's your eating? How's work? How's your partnership? What's going on with that? Because they're... They're trying to, to really the person, understand fully. Yeah. And when you unpack that, then that's when you might say, oh, yeah, I haven't felt my baby. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. But if you have a 15-minute checkup that's like very pathological, like we're going to yeah. run these tests and these tests, and all you're doing is like, oh, my God, is anything wrong? You're not actually talking about what yeah. is happening. Right. You're then propelled to worry about what possibly could go yeah. wrong. And that's what I love about midwifery is you were very present in the moment with what is happening. Not that you're not giving me that care yeah. and running those tests or whatever, but you're keeping us as mothers present in what is happening to equip us to be present in the moment and feel safe and yeah. empowered during our labor, during our pregnancy labor and beyond. And that to me is such a win. But go ahead, finish your, your birth story because I think it's important <laughs> for people to hear. So um, then I started pushing and he asked me basically if I, uh, if he could use a va- vacuum to help, you right. know, uh, for those who don't know what a vacuum is, it's a, um, it's almost like a little suction that you yeah. put on the baby's head, and the doctor will pull to help you. Now, vacuums are um, wonderful um, 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 interventions when actually needed, um, but they are not for everybody. You know, I think they, when properly used, they're great. I have had, I've called in doctors to be like, she needs a vacuum Mm -hmm. and I'm for that, you know, but I think when a woman is pushing perfectly well, she's feeling, I think you need to let her do what she needs to do, what her body's naturally um, supposed to do. Right. Mm -hmm. And just encourage that. Right. Right, And tell her that she is powerful and she can do this and really kind of support her during that time. Right. Um, so I started pushing and he, he kept yelling at me. He was like, are you declining the management that I'm giving you? Are you declining the management? And, and at one point he was just yelling. I was like, yes, I am. And I was like, let me push. And he was like, fine, push. And he just crossed his hand and just stood there and said, push. And so I pushed and my baby came out in 20 minutes, you know, um, perfectly fine and everything. And then you, so now there is that trust, right? That has broken. Like there's mm-hmm. this relationship now that you just kind of like, I need to put my walls up with, right. with this person because he's really not being supportive of what just happened right now. And so I started bleeding a lot. My mom was there. My mom was like, oh my God, you're bleeding a lot. You're bleeding a lot. And so then he was just like, I was like, oh, did I tear? Did I tear? And he's like, no, 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 no. You didn't tear. You didn't tear. He was like, let me figure it out. Let me figure it out. So he's like, okay, the bleeding's good. It stopped, you know. But because it was not that trust that I had with him, I said to the nurse, I said, I need you to bring me somebody else because I feel that there's there, there's something. And so I said, just bring me another doctor, midwife, anybody else. Just bring me somebody else to come check me because I right. do not feel secure with this man telling me that I'm fine because there's just it's it was a lot of bleeding. And so she brought in another doctor that examined me and the doctor was like, oh, I'm really sorry, but you tore really bad and we need to take you back in the OR and suture you. And so, you know, this is why I say, you know, you really need that relationship with that provider and making really have understanding where your patient comes from and just supporting it, right? So here are two individuals. I'm trying to have this vaginal birth 
a doctor who does not believe in it and wants to section me, it's really just we're bumping heads a at this point. Power struggle, right? Yeah. And so I, I'm really thankful that you know I knew I, I, I am in the medical field and I knew what I was talking about and what he was saying and I understood and I could actually like, you know, fight for it and right. fight for what I want. But there are many women that do not. But you then know? he hands and off to you, for lack of a better term, yeah. and you tore. And there was no yeah. need for and that. And there was no need for that. So, yeah. So, but, you know, I told my OB, I was like, never again with this one. So <laughs> yeah. he was not present in any of my other births. And I had beautiful births. The yeah. the, the other two with, with attendings, with doctors, you know, that were very supportive. So I think it's really um, just understanding that this is a human on this yeah. bed, you know, that has emotion, that has feelings, but also being like, listen to that woman's intuition, Yeah. right? Listen to her intuition to say, I can do this or this doesn't feel right. Or let me try this or let me try that. You know, yeah. um, I've had patients who are just very anti-epidural. They're like, I don't want an epidural. I don't want an epidural. But when I'm seeing the labor and how it's going and she's so intense and she can't relax and she can't do this, I have a conversation with my patient. Mm -hmm. I'm like, listen, I know you're anti, but I really think yeah. you would benefit from that. No, it that would, happened in mine. Lindsay, like, Lindsay relax, said it turned to yeah. suffering. Yeah, She said, you're strong, just, but you're suffering, you're suffering and, and, and you, we're only right. at four centimeters like Correct. two days in. Like, Correct. And it's not helping because you have to be able to relax your pelvis for that baby to come down. Right? And so, to push. And to push. <laughs> right. And I had to push Samuel for three hours. So had yeah. I not had that like little bit of respite. Right. And I think other people should know too, like you can turn it off. So I turned my epidural off. Of course. And then I felt my pushing, which yeah. then I was like, can we? Yeah. <laughs> that was in the ring of fire moment where I was yeah. like, can y'all put some water on it? And they were putting it in my mouth. I'm like, no, can you pour it down there? Because it is hot. <laughs> I learned what ring of fire, ring of was. fire was. I was like, it doesn't matter that I had that damn epidural because I felt every yeah. ounce of stretching. Right. And if Ooh. and if we turn it off and there's some women where I do turn it off because I'm just like, I need you to feel that to be able to know where to push. Right. Exactly. Which yeah, is why so I'm like could, so yeah. passionate about teaching women how to push, which is right. kind of crazy. We don't do that more. Yeah. Um, okay. So um, we had, I feel like we had our like fun, like, fun session before we started about all the uh, things that people really want to hear about. <laughs> so I'm going to start Moms After Dark. Okay. So will you participate? I think I know sure. the answer. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so we're going to like start a whole like Patreon subscription situation. <laughs> and it's like so exciting. We all had like the fun, juicy Mom After Dark conversation before. We probably like always have some yeah. version of a Mom After Dark yeah. um, with wine. <laughs> She's yelling at me. She's like, "Why didn't you just tell me to bring wine?" I'm like, I, "I'm I'm new at this. We're it's gonna become very boozy and maybe juice and kombucha thrown in there sometimes. Wine and cheese. I feel like we're gonna have a charcuterie pretty soon. <laughs> She'll be back. Um, and then for for just like like you know now our post show question. Just I feel, you know, I laugh as I say this. Like, if you knew one thing, what would you share? But I think just in general, like pregnancy, birth, motherhood, like what would you give as a gift um, to mothers, you know, that you really feel is like a helpful thing to know? Oh, wow. Okay. I know. It's a <laughs> lot. Okay. Okay. So, well, actually we have two. Let's, let's, you can marinate that one. Okay. 
I almost, you almost got out of this. <laughs> you were probably like, I'm not going to remind her. What are you giving birth to next? And then we'll go back to that other question. Um, as far as what, in, like in my life? Yeah. Okay. So, um, what do you, what, what, what should I do? <laughs> like, I know. What do you, I think this is what we worked on with our vision boarding. Yeah. So I think, so I, I actually started a jewelry company yeah. a couple years ago after I gave birth to my third child. Um, I've always loved jewelry. I think that, you know, it's just, it's, it's a great way to kind of express yourself and just feel, I think that a lot of women after we give birth, right, we're so wrapped up in being mommy, right? And so we kind of forget ourselves and we put ourselves like in the back burner. And I think that years later, you kind of be like, well, who am I again? Like, mm -hmm. I want to feel me and who right. I was. And I've always been the type of woman that like dress up and high heels and all that. And then you have kids and you're like, I can't wear those high heels anymore. It hurts. And, blah, blah. and we're boy so, moms. So yeah. That. yeah. <laughs> we're the boy moms where it's like, you can't run after your kids <laughs> in high heels, right? So you're always in flats or barefoot and all of that. And you just want to wear like practical things that are great. Cause you know, you're going to have throw up. You're going to have all these things, all the pee, things. poop. I mean, especially boys, you open that diaper and it's just like, shh. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I think, so I started this company because I did want to just empower women to just find themselves again and yeah. just feel loved and special and feel like, okay, I'm finding myself. I can dress up and just pieces that you could wear and invest that has to do with your children. That has to like, you know, it could be your children's initial, the, the birthstones that, that still brings in that mom aspect but still dressy enough for you to feel like I can go out and feel like I'm dressy, right? And yeah. I think that jewelry is is like the, it's like the last touch to everything, right? You always wear your outfit and you're just like, okay, now I'm going to like accessorize it, right? Mm -hmm. And what am I going to wear? And you put all these jewelry and it brings the whole kind of you together. Right. But you could have and like a white tee and jeans on and then exactly. you pop some and jewelry so on it. pops jewelry. Yeah. You know, I, I will be that mom who's like a pickup full of like diamonds all over. And yeah. that's just, that's just me. And I think I encourage women to do that, you know, it's to important. not, it's important to feel sexy again, to be like, you know, like you. And I think that's something that even my mom said to me, Yeah, you know, um, don't don't lose Weha. Don't lose the person yeah. that you with because that's who your husband or your partner fell in love with, right? right? So don't forget her. And I think that we need to take care of us first yep. so we can take care of others. And I think that's really, really important as a yeah. mom. Yeah. And that would probably be like, be like what you would give to what, women. What I would yeah, give yeah. to women. It's like don't lose yourself. Like you really need to put yourself first. And it's not being selfish, right? To right. like spend money on yourself, yeah. you know, or time for yourself. Right. And the other thing is, you know, we have boys, but it teaches them how to care for a woman. Yeah. You know, when we take time um, for ourselves to work out or, or you know, go out with friends right. or it doesn't even have to be like a massage or whatever, but it's also like Samuel when I get dressed and I'm like, oh, I'll throw the joggers on that day. He was like, don't you have pants that fit your body? And I was like, okay, boo. But he enjoys, he's like, are you putting makeup on mommy? Are you putting lipstick? Because he sees when I do my auditions or whatever, when I do that. Right. But he, it's, it's, 
It's an adornment and it's yeah. just, he appreciates it. And I think all of us appreciate a pretty thing or right. whether that's lipstick or getting your nails done or, uh, you know, jewelry. And we're teaching them that that's an that's, important yeah. part of life. So hopefully with their friends or future partners, right. they enjoy that as well. And, and I course. appreciate that about you because it's just like, you know, you're a walking reminder of of you know treating yourself as a queen because yeah. we are we really yeah. are as as mothers what we do like when i say queen i don't just it's not just the pretty image of a woman on a throne right but the fact that she runs an empire yeah and as mothers we are running empires yeah the amount of logistics that go into any given hour yeah. <laughs> like, is like we're the shit, yeah, yeah. you know? And so we should look like the shit and yeah. feel like the shit because we do a lot of shit. That's kind of that how like, I feel like. <laughs> so wait, I'm supposed to, I do all of this and I'm supposed to look right. like crap and feel like crap? No, 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 no. Like I'm done with that. And I think that's why we got along is because it was another person who spoke my language yeah. because I'm like, I, I'm me first. And yeah. everybody's better if Rachel is a whole person. Right. And then Rachel Dawn's mom has yeah. hat, friend hat, daughter hat, worker hat, visionary hat, nonprofit hat. But I have to be me first. Right. And I I just want to give grace to you. And I want you to plug, go ahead, tell us how we follow your jewelry company. So it's called Nogama. It's after my children's name. So my first child is Noah. So I took the first initial of every <gasps> tri children's okay, name. Okay, go ahead. So the first one is Noah, Gabriel, and Malachi. And so that's how I came to be called Nogama. So it's the first and two like letters. And like Mama. Is that part of the... No, no. Nogama, Malachi. Oh, Malachi. Yeah. But it's kind of like mom yeah. in there too. Yeah. I love that. That's so like that's my Oakland coming out. I'm like, <laughs> no, got Mama. Nogama, Mama. So it's N-O-G-A-M-A, -A, Nogama, after my kids. I love that. Yeah. It's amazing. So follow and support. <laughs> Um, this was good. You know, I'm going to have you back for more, but I appreciate you being Thank so supportive. You. Oh, you're so welcome. And, you know, I, I just was so excited. I knew there was something, there was a reason why we met. Um, I think personally, there's a lot of reasons, but professionally to have met you, I really want people to like watch this video so you can like, I want you to listen to everything that, that Weha shares, but really all that she brings to her profession um, to motherhood, to femininity. Um, y'all, she can host a meme party and gala and all the things. She has a whole lot of talents. Um, but, but we need you in this space. And so I see you, I appreciate oh, you. Thank I thank you. you. Um, and anybody thinking about becoming a midwife, do it. Yes. Talk to Weha. She'll support you through this. It is, it is a beautiful, beautiful uh, profession. Yeah. It's really beautiful to see, to be that first person, you oh, know, yeah. to catch that baby. Um, it's such it's a really gift. beautiful. Yeah. Also, midwife, we say catch it. We don't deliver. We catch. Yeah, them. we catch. They're because the woman baby delivers. Yes, we just catch them. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, push. Use your transverse abdominals. Relax 